Welcome to Building Vesser, where we talk about the upcoming world of Vesser and all we're doing to bring it to life. It's a behind-the-scenes look, day-to-day, and a surprisingly, increasingly popular podcast. I'm Mike McCard. I'm Victory Palmisano. And I'm Ann Houck. And I've got really exciting news for y'all this week. Uh, we have an official community that we planned the whole time as being the beating heart of what we're doing with the world of Vesser. And it's open now. Like, there are people in it. They are playing games. Uh, I'm hosting games. Alex is hosting games. Anne has been joining us for community events and games. Uh, so all the people you see on Building Vesser and who will be on the more shows and programs we have coming down the pipe are there to interact with you and build this. And you can be a part of it if you go join the wait list. Because we want to build the community well and intentionally and use it as the foundation for some really innovative things we're doing, we have to be careful about how quickly it grows. So we did let the first wave of people in from the wait list. And when we opened the gates, it only took three hours to close them again. Uh, so if you're on the wait list and you do get an email that spots are open, you want to jump on that pretty quickly. But the only way you can get the email is to join the wait list. So head to Vesser.com, V-E-S-S-E-R.com, and click that Join Wait List button. And uh, I hope to be playing a game with you real soon. What's going on this week? We've got the community stuff started. We've all been in there posting things, hosting events. There's a playtest happening literally right now, this exact moment. I'm going to be dropping some art in there today or tomorrow that nobody's seen yet. We'll have some other uh, team members hosting games pretty soon there, too. It's been very fun seeing it grow. Happen fast. Happen really fast. I'm enjoying all of the uh, pet pictures in there. I thrive on pet pictures like that. Mm -hmm. Every single pet picture, I just get that little dopamine shot in a way. Very few other things do for me. Back when my early internet days, when you dialed into a bulletin board server, so you dialed into one server and it was basically like a primitive forum. My favorite topic in that forum was called Photoshop, and people would post pictures of pork chops. And digital cameras didn't exist, so it was like a non-trivial amount of work to get a Photoshop, but it was yeah. a Photoshop joke, and I just, I adored it. I mean, that was, that was pioneering internet humor at the time, Photoshop. My life's better because of it. <laughs> Absolutely. At that point in the internet, like, if you wanted to find a photo of something... It was not easy. There was no Google. At this point, there was not like Yahoo or anything. There was like you could use Gopher, which meant you like sent a request out over a protocol or you had to like manually comb through directories. It was a different time. Can I ask what year exactly was this? That is a fantastic question. 87. Earlier than I was guessing, I was thinking 92. No, 92. By 92, I was like full-on IP networking. Like you had the network of networks. The internet was was happening in earnest. Technically, a BBS wasn't, they weren't all connected to the internet at all. It was just like a standalone computer connected to a rack of modems that you could call into. And the way the internet started, if you weren't in the military or at a university, was your local BBS server got an IP connection. And so from your server, you could telnet into other servers. And that was the internet at first. It was just like you would telnet. And it's just command lines. There was no web browser. But that was wild to be able to like get onto someone else's BBS without direct dialing it. By 92, probably I had Netscape Navigator on a Mac LC by that point was probably my main way of playing around online. 
I think our family got our first Apple computer in 94. My family got our first Apple computer in, our first computer at all in 95. Well, so I was a kid, but like I set up all the technology for the school. Of course you did. Yeah, that makes sense. So I was the one who like knew how it all worked and set everything up and had unlimited access to it. And then people would get computers and have no idea how to work them. And so I would set their computer up for them, but the deal was then I got to use the computer because I didn't have a computer, and I would try to convince my dad we should get a computer. He's like, I don't know. Computers, what are they What are they even for? There's no possible thing someone could have said to make you feel more unseen. Like, <laughs> yeah. what do we need with a computer? Oh, I would say I was like, the whole economy <laughs> is going to run off of these. <laughs> At some point, we're going to figure out how to network them all together, and communications are going to be instant. And I was like, Dad, one day, you're going to be able to sit down in front of your computer and talk face-to-face with someone on the other side of the world. I'm like eight, nine years old. And then I'm like, and one day, we're going to be able to figure out how to modulate networks over radio waves. And then you'll be able to hold a small computer in your hand. You'll be able to talk to it. You'll be able to send photos and videos, create rich content, do all your word processing. You'll be able to send emails, all that, in a slate-sized device you hold in your hand. And Dad's like, okay, whatever. We're not going to Isn't my son so creative? <laughs> what an imagination. I wrote a report in fourth grade on how a network of networks was going to change the world. And then I did another report on how computers are going to transform business and 10th grade and then got my novel cna certification <laughs> i was the youngest person to ever do that anyway i'm rambling this is not an interesting building <laughs> what have you all been watching or reading or playing this week to avoid talking another week about Baldur's gate i will say what i am listening to <laughs> uh which it, it is an all-year-round thing but we have officially entered October. Temperatures are in the 60s to 40s at night. It's it's cooling down, which means I have The Amazing Devil on repeat almost every day. And that is what I'm listening to while I work or cook and things like that. For those of you who don't know, it is a band. The two people in it are Madeline Highland and Joey Beatty. I think technically an indie band that does very like story-driven songs, like kind of spooky fantasy vibes. Another thing that I have not read yet, but should be on its way to my mailbox, is Emily Wilson's translation of the Iliad, which Mm. I am so excited about. She was the first woman to translate the Odyssey and the Iliad, and translations are highly biased. It changes the story, whether they're sort of made with pedantic viewpoints or or the perspective of the person translating them that changes the entire thing so she brings a very modern obviously like woman-centric view to her translations and her goal is less like complicated but more more focused on like accessibility for a wider reading audience which is just phenomenal so i cannot wait to check that out later this week so one of the hardest things for people who start working with me regularly is if you have any difficulty receiving praise uh i'm not a flatterer like i i don't flatter people it doesn't even occur to me to flatter people but if i like think something's good about someone i will say it i'm pretty articulate about it right 
Uh, so, Anne, brace yourself. I oh, no. adore you, and I respect you, and I think I like adore you and respect you as much as I can. And then you'll like say another <laughs> incredibly interesting thing that's like I'm vaguely aware of and wish I was more familiar with. And then I'm like, dang, Anne is awesome. You just you're real cool, Anne. This. You and this team single-handedly are getting me over my discomfort of being complimented <laughs> because it is it is very genuine and it's like it's okay I can sit here and it's fine. I mean the yeah. truth is on a daily basis we discuss how incredible you are. Sure. It's not a joke. You daily impress us. I mean that that totally goes both ways. This is my favorite <laughs> group of people I've ever worked with. And now it's my turn to feel uncomfortable. So yes. we both need to be matching <laughs> no. colors of red, Mike. Uh, it's happening i'm watching the blushing happening in both of your faces i have tons of watching reading playing this week like way more than usual and i think all are interesting and relevant to our project especially first of all i have been playing cyberpunk 2077 phantom liberty the new expansion pack starring idris elba and i thought it was going to be idris only but they have new keanu as well and it's great it's not as good as Baldur's gate 3 but i'm becoming aware one of the things that made Baldur's gate so extraordinary was the talent and enthusiasm of the voice acting like mm-hmm. they're written well absolutely the game is developed well it's fun loops but those actors we're not talking about Baldur's gate phantom liberty is very good and in a world where i hadn't played Baldur's gate it would i would be like this is game of the year and here's why i think i love that because cd project red the developer who made phantom liberty and cyberpunk 2077 is like legendary the witcher 3 is this beloved game and then the cyberpunk launch they just botched it and they botched it because they were like too ambitious in scoping the project and then like had to ship and so they shipped a game that wasn't ready. And the norm in the video game industry is when you ship a game that wasn't ready and it's terrible, it kind of gets abandoned. But CD Projekt Red kept working on it. And so in addition to Phantom Liberty coming out, they also released Cyberpunk 2.0. So even if you don't buy Phantom Liberty, you get a completely new set of game mechanics. You get a much more stable engine. You get a new type of lighting, a new type of ray trace lighting that's really cool. A frame generation, all these features added to the engine. And to me, that's such a wonderful story uh, that separates passionate game development from predatory capitalist game development. Uh, It reminds me of No Man's Sky. No Man's Sky, very similarly, was an indie project that launched, and it was terrible. And I think they've released like 28 free expansion packs for that game. And it just kept getting like better and better and better. And so both of those, I think, are great stories of like the power of iteration. And I hope what I want to be the norm is Baldur's Gate, where like we work hard on it, we release it when, it when it's ready. But in places that have more like shareholder pressure, I hope we can normalize if a game has rough edges or even really rough edges when it ships, not giving up on it. I mean, the developer side, because cyberpunk is like selling really well again yeah because uh they kept making it better so that's what i've been playing what i've been listening to is 90s alternative and grunge on binge why 
because I pulled, after 15 years, my bass guitar out of the closet, took it to the shop, got it fixed up, and I've been playing bass again, so my fingers hurt really bad and it's hard to type, but I've been playing bass when I'm like tired from work and gassed. I've been pulling out the guitar and playing, and that's like an active rest, basically. And then a friend of mine sent me a U-bass, so the little ukulele bass, I've been playing that a lot, too. And that's just been really fun, and I feel like it has helped uh, restock the creative engine that gets pretty worn down from, you know, building Discord servers and <laughs> all the stuff we're yeah. doing in this kind of launch moment right now. What I've been watching is shameful, mostly DUI videos on YouTube. I think for me, it's like a fascinating study in a side of human behavior I don't encounter in my life and relationships. I probably watched three hours of DUI videos this week. Say more about this. The ones that fascinate me is when it's like the mayor or a city council person or the police chief. And that's the ones that involve corruption are the ones that I tend to watch. Not the ones that's just like a rando person. What is the common thread? My favorite thing is when the officer... 90% of people will say you're under arrest for DUI and the person will say, no, I'm not. Pure okay. denial instantly. Pure denial. To get to the point, I think, where you're frequently operating a motor vehicle deeply under the influence, you know it's not safe. I, what I'm watching is psychological defense mechanism and affect. And so that's kind of the study for me. I've watched some and like the police officer will be like, well, I'm getting fired for this one. He's doing his job. It's an illustration of kind of the, the deep levels of corruption and maladapted influence in what is ostensibly a democratic society. Because I'll be like, man, this was a good one. And I'll go read the comments and I'm like, did we watch the same video? So I think I bring a different lens to these videos than perhaps is the common uh, audience member's perspective. But I still find them fascinating. I think you were the one that turned me on to watching the interrogation videos of yeah. notorious psychopaths. Yeah. Absolutely fascinating. Absolutely yeah. fascinating. And my response always is like, why are you talking to the police? Whether you're guilty, whether you're innocent, whether I like you, whether you don't. Like, the first words out of my mouth would be, I would like to speak to an attorney. I would like to speak to an attorney. I don't answer questions. Oh, I know you're just doing your job. I understand. I just want to talk to an attorney. I would like to speak to an attorney. But it's like people want to like convince the police officer they're a good person. This police officer is not your buddy. Their job is to get a conviction for this crime. Like that's how their performance evaluations go. So don't tell them anything. Don't tell them it doesn't matter whether you're guilty or innocent. Don't tell them anything. I don't understand it. There's someone listening that needs to hear this. <laughs> Safety talks with Mike. Because people like act like my opportunity to state my case is right now. No, your opportunity to state your case is in court where your rights are protected. Some people's rights are protected. Fair. Yeah. Fair. The <laughs> best chance you have yes. of your rights being represented yes. are in Theoretically, front of a judge, yes. not in front of an officer. And if you get a bad judge, there's also chances to see additional judges in the process. Great point, Victory, but your best chance is in front of a judge. Absolutely. Not an officer. Spin-off podcast, legal advice <laughs> from Mike McCoss. Yes. I'm not a lawyer. We can't get legal <laughs> advice. But the other thing that interests me is the different terms different jurisdictions use for DUI. There's DUI, D -W -I. there's DWI, there's mm -hmm. OWI, there's OUI. What's O? Oh, OUI's up here. We drove past it on the interstate and I read it as we, like mm -hmm. French. We? And I was like, why did that sign just say, don't drive Watch drunk? Watch out for we. 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 <laughs> 
<laughs> now it sounds like someone from Montreal, a French Canadian. No. Victory, what have you been watching or reading or playing? In our company Slack channel, we have a thread called Watch This. I finally was like, you know what? I'm going to go back into this thread and I'm going to try to watch a couple of things that people have sent through. Mike sent a video of a review on Baldur's Gate 3. It was like the five reasons why this is the best game I've ever played. I got to watch all 30 minutes, which felt like a luxury. And it was really cool. It was very cool to see screen sharing of the game. So I got some visuals and to hear their reasoning about why this was an incredibly designed game gave me a lot of insight into what y'all have been talking about. I'm genuinely excited to play it. Like if you, we just did it on Discord and it was like someone was Victory's proxy and then Victory made all the choices and the people in the community could watch. I think that would be hugely successful. I'm down. We could do a multiplayer game. I was actually thinking that. I wanted to bring it up. I want to do a party. <laughs> yeah, that would be fun. Mm -hmm. Just do like an hour at a time, do a party, someone runs for Victory. That would be be a good time runs for victory so many meanings <laughs> <laughs> i think everybody would volunteer to run for victory it would be a competition who got to run for let's do it let's put a date on the calendar all right we've got a couple of questions we're gonna jump into awesome questions we've got questions i think you should write a little ditty on your base for questions <laughs> and for commercials that we're going to do. World of Esser commercials. <laughs> Mist in the Morning asks, You've discussed before how light heat energy can be created from nothing using emanation and sigil arcana. Will this lead to the inhabitants of Vesser needing to be concerned about climate change from all of this excess energy at some stage? I imagine it would be a much easier problem for them to solve than it is for us. But I like the idea of them figuring out that it's something they need to consider. Seemingly from nothing would be a very important caveat to that uh, sentence. You cannot create light and energy from nothing. But you can seemingly create light and energy from nothing, which is an important distinction in the physics of the world. And maybe I said that before and misspoke, but what I just said is the real thing. They have already wrecked the climate of Vesser. The Torifex have to wear breathing apparatus to stay alive. Why? Messing up the climate. There are rings in the sky. Rings in the sky create shadows on the planet that really affect climate. They made the rings in the sky on accident. There are patches of magically influenced weather all over nausea that you, you can be walking and you're in a hot climate and suddenly it's extremely cold because of magic. They've changed atmospheric composition. They created a nuclear winter that could have destroyed everything, but then they used magic to try to correct that. So... They are using Emanation and Sigil Arcana to try to undo the problems they created with Emanation and Sigil Arcana. So do they have to worry about climate change? Yes, because they already changed the climate too much, which has obviously no parallels to Earth whatsoever. Completely a fictional story, uh, not a metaphor. <laughs> One thing we always tell people when they're like asking questions about the world is it's not a story where there's continually escalating stakes to like save the world and save civilization. Civilization has already fallen. It's not the typical feel of like a post-apocalyptic thing, but 
the like earth-shattering apocalyptic event has already happened and they're recovering. Yeah, we tried to look at actual history as our guide for what societal collapses look like or empirical collapses, and they're slow. They take centuries. So the age of consequence took centuries for cities to fall, you know, kind of one at a time. It was a slow contraction, not a, a sudden event. Although the beginning of the age of consequence was sudden and dramatic and took all hands on deck to prevent a mass extinction event. It might be helpful to do a like quick recap of the timeline and where these first stories are set. Starts with the Amazov Empire, which was the expanding culture of the humans, Runja and Torfax, working together, discovering Sigil Arcana. Once we discover Sigil Arcana, we learn how to create sigil barriers from sigil stela. These are towers made of a special material. It's created with sigil arcana that's indestructible. And that let us slowly expand across the entire continent of Naja. And there were Ascendant, which is why this was the Age of Ascendancy. Ascendant were the ultimate masters of emanation and sigil arcana. And they ruled a city-state. Each ascendant ruled their own city-state, and then they came together in a council. And the reason they didn't immediately descend into rivalry and war is because as they're expanding across the continent, they still have to work together, what? To keep titans away. So then they do move the sigil barriers all the way out to the edges of the continent, and then kind of into the ocean a bit. So limited blue water sailing was possible for the first time in the history of Naja. That was an age of tremendous prosperity. But as they sort of stabilize their grip on the continent, well, now we start getting some conflict between the city-states about where borders are where and who gets what resources and what trade prices are like. And you can imagine we were headed toward a civil war with multiple factions, cold war, then a hot war, then a cold war. But something happened. All the ascendant left or disappeared. History is not clear on this moment. But around the time they did that, there was fire in the sky to the south like immense fire. There was a shockwave that covered the entire continent, broke buildings, broke roads. A couple years later, uh, there were rings in the sky. Before that, the, the sky was just a big mess. You couldn't tell it anyway because then there was the sky was full of dust and you had a nuclear winter. After the dust cleared, now you see this, and that leads us to the age of consequence. So not only was a lot of infrastructure shattered in this cataclysmic event, the most powerful people who knew the most about magic are all gone. And so a lot of knowledge was lost. And the best, all their kind of like uh, best students, their apprentices, went with them. So the best people to operate the sigil stela, well, they're all gone. So we start having gaps in the sigil barrier. And gaps in the sigil barrier, titans start figuring out, oh, wow, we can get onto the continent again. And so kind of uh, piecemeal attempts are made. This is the age of consequence. A city-state at a time falling. Refugees leaving arriving at the next place. During the Age of Consequence, some of the city-states kind of tried to break off their own independence. That was hard because all the sigil stela were really outward-facing, so they're trying to put together piecemeal networks of old towers. And then there's fights over whose tower is which. And the Age of Consequence just keeps consequencing for centuries long. I don't think it was millennia. It was centuries. I'd have to look at yeah. the timeline. Then you have the founding of the Vahshath, and that's when Hesh figures out we're the last city standing and we're going to keep standing the formation of the seat of seven thrones they are regents of the seven thrones where they sit there are literally thrones taken from other neighboring city states and set in a room and the seven don't sit on them they sit in front of them these are 
one, signs of our authority that we have these, and two, they are a, a reminder of the failure of the old way of doing things. Uh, you have the formation of the seven, after that the emergent compromise, because it was a little bit of a, a quick conflict between eminent people and non-eminent people, and that was led to the formation of exile. Anyway, so that period, we are playing 1,700 years after the formation of the seven, and I think 2,500 years after the kind of cataclysm that led to the age of consequence. And so that's kind of the timeline where we're in. We are almost two millennia into the age of the Vahashoth, and the Vahashoth have been defined by their reticence to attempt to expand at all. So they kind of hold their the line but they don't try to push back out because they view that level of ambition as being what led to the Age of Consequence in the first time. Mm -hmm. And that's like, they associate that with the Ascendant. As we were going through this and talking about like, oh, society fell and things like that, that we've, we've gone through the timeline before, but it might be helpful for people listening to have like a brief brush up on here's where things started. Everything went downhill and we're kind of on the upswing from that. But essentially, catastrophe has already happened. Big, big, big catastrophe. Yeah, I mean, it, it takes a lot to make a planet with no rings have rings. Caitlin S. says, Hi, Mike, Victory, and Anne. I'm really excited about the world of Vesser and waiting on more information with bated breath, particularly for the short form game. With that being said, I was wondering how names worked for each of the races in Vesser. Do they all have different naming conventions? And if so, are they different from one another as well as our own here in the U.S. and other parts of Earth? Thanks so much for taking the time to read this, and I'll be keeping an eye out for when I can do more to support the project. Best of wishes, Caitlin. P.S. I just listened to the newest episode, which was great. I just wanted to see if all those slots were filled for early access. I assume they are, but if not, I'll try and throw my name in the ring for for a separate email. Last time I said, hey, if you're one of the first five people to send me an invented word from our setting as a subject of the email, I'll let you in past the wait list. And I did that. It took like 20 minutes for those five emails to come in after the podcast came out in the wee hours of the morning Eastern time. <laughs> so those went fast. And so those are gone. That's a great question. So let's go back before the Amazov Empire. <laughs> a band of humans, not a rock band, but like a, a grouping of humans, migrated across a land bridge from another continent. This continent is where humans are native to. Humans are not native organisms to nausea. Humans came across the land bridge, and they were trying to do on Vesser what we did on Earth, which is move to every continent, wipe out the apex predators, eat all the good prey animals, build civilizations these these humans are pre-civilization though they're still nomadic but they're they're starting to form large people groups and they arrive in naja and they encounter because they're way up north the mountain runja mountain runja have written language they have a culture they are nomadic people who are herd animals, uh, subsistence farmers, and but they have relatively small populations. So these huge group of humans murk them, just murder them, like uh, humans tend to do. And so over a few hundred years, humans start spreading in the northwest portion of Naja, and then they start to move south into more temperate environs, as well as east. As they move east little exploring bands encounter the Torifex and get wrecked. And so Torifex for early humans are this like mythological monster and it's like do not go east. So they go south and they see more 
Runja. This time in a bigger city. Uh, and these Runja are taller, but they're still just Runja. We've been killing Runja for, for centuries now. And so they go to attack the first proper Runja city. And the humans get wrecked. Absolutely wrecked. So, uh, but the Runja don't wipe them out because they are kind of interested in these strange animals. Like, you know, no one in Naja has seen a mammal before. We are, we are this exotic life form. And so there's like some discussion, like, should we, should we domesticate them? Like, what should we do? And it's like, well, actually, no, they seem pretty clever other than they tried to attack us. And they have lots of babies year round. And uh, the Runja had some anxiety about the dominance of the Torifex. Every time Runja, now with a proper civilization, try to move back into the, the kind of choice lands in Naja, the Torifex drive them right back out. They form this partnership with humans and Runja. Well, humans are now, oh, and they, they kind of move to the north and they wreck all the human settlement and kind of re-enable the mountain Runja to operate in their native lands. Although there's a whole tense relationship between Delta and mountain Runja at this point in history as well. Cohabitating together for over the centuries and the cultures kind of merge, but because the Runja know more magic, they know more they better channel emanation, and they already have a written language, and they already do advanced construction and city walls and all these things. Their culture became super dominant, so humans assimilated into Runja culture, modifying it as they did, but Runja was the dominant culture, which means humans and Runja adhere to Runja means of naming something. And a runja name has two components. The first is the song name. Uh, that is the sound one sings for others to know what to sing back to you, to recognize you. Roughly analogous to our first names. Except they don't have last names. They also have nest names. And the nest name is what people who are extremely close to you call you. Your family system, your dearest friends. Many people keep their nest name secret although that is not universal so they're like two different names for you depending on the level of familiarity someone has with you and it would be really uncommon for someone to use your song name and your nest name so it's not like a first name last name thing so that's how humans and runja use names also uh, these names tend to be um, an object you can find in nature an occupation or an ideal so they don't mm -hmm. have derived names that we have that start with a meaning and just become a name name so rose would be a name or virtue or fisher or river or stone and then also those names in runja torfex are completely different in and amongst themselves the torfex don't have names they they have like a molecular serial number <laughs> they don't have a name but uh, humans and Runja can't read or communicate in molecular serial numbers. Like, the Torfex think of humans and Runja affectionately, but it's sometimes frustrating for them to communicate with us because we're very slow and very verbal, and our sense of uh, individual identity is very inefficient. But Torfex do regularly social interact with the other species. So basically, humans and Runja assign a song name to a Torfex. So if this Torfex has a a particularly opalescent carapace, a human might call them opal. And then that Torfex goes, oh, okay, I'm opal. But then opal dies, or opal metamorphosizes into another cast and doesn't come to work. 
doesn't come to that social encounter. And instead, another tour effects comes because that's a role in the colony that needs to be fulfilled. And someone might say, well, who are you? Where's Opal? And then the tour effects says, oh, I'm Opal 2. I'm Opal 3. I'm Opal 5. I'm Opal 21. And so Torifex names are different other than the Hamathi, the social cast for the Torifex, who have song and nest names like humans and Runja. Because the Hamathi are a cast specialized in emulating and relating to other species in the way that is native to them. So Hamathi have individual sense of identity. Uh, they have individual wants and needs variant personalities all those sorts of things i don't want to say we overthought naming in the setting but we didn't underthink how we accurately thought the setting (laughs) yeah and i i will say like one thing to add in there too if you're like sitting there wondering like okay if there are natural based names which names from earth can i pick because Lorunja, we've essentially made that like our common proxy. You can pick what you want. Latin scientific names aren't a thing because there is no Latin to have scientific names from. But if you're like, oh, does a rose exist? Mm-hmm. You you can absolutely pick rose. Or but a monkey doesn't. So yeah, you couldn't exactly. Be a monkey, right? Because there there aren't mammals really in nausea, and and to that like some some names are a mix of high runja and low runja. Like there, there are combo names where like your your nest name might be Kershad, which is a Runja name, but your first name, like or your song name, might be River. It just kind of interplays like that because it is a blended society. One thing that this conversation reminded me a little bit was uh, Mike when you and I went live on Instagram and someone asked if there could be pets. A few animals followed humans across the bridge like a few domesticated mammals some domesticated livestock there's not no mammals it's just it's a small small set it's much more likely to be reptilian or like arthropods avian or arthropods yeah Yeah. cats would be much more special it's an open question whether cats made it over and if they did if they survived cats would not be the same sort of apex predator and nausea they are in uh, our ecosystems I mean, they, they've got a decent chance because of how humans bond with pets mm-hmm. and prioritize their continuation. Cats self-domesticated, so I'm just wondering, like, and they tend to be tied to play, so I'm wondering yeah. if they would be up for a land bridge migration. I'll have to do some more research. Dogs certainly would be like, where oh, are yeah. we going, humans? <laughs> Let's do this. I don't know if cats would or not. Either way, any of the animals have to be uh, protected on, on nausea. It's, it's, a, it's a tough continent. Yeah. The dinosaurs never died there, so... Uh, <laughs> I mean, overall, everyone has to be more protected. Like, everyone has to band together. And that's why that's why you've got three species working together. Because, yeah, like, there, you could go out into the woods and find a stone skin monitor that's essentially a fully-fledged dinosaur looking for a snack. Yeah, a tank-sized monitor who can turn invisible. It's bad, it's bad yeah. time. <laughs> we are still hungry like the wolf for podcast reviews. So if you want to give us a star rating or actually write a review literally anywhere you listen to podcasts. That would be super helpful. We are over the hump on the social media channels. Thank you for that. Could still use a few Facebook likes, but other than that, just wherever you do social media, feel free to go to at World of Vesser. Check that out. We'd love to have you. Thanks for listening, everybody. So long. Farewell. Farewell.